0: Welcome to Tubular Connections, a series where we make meaningful connections in the HSS, steel, and engineering communities. Here's your host, Brad Fletcher, Senior Structural Engineer
1: at Atlas Tube.
0: Well, welcome, everyone, to this edition of Tubular Connections. This is your host, Brad Fletcher, a Structural Engineer with Atlas Tube. And um, my guest today is Ted Goldstein, uh, who is a Structural Engineer as well. Welcome, Ted. Good to be here. Ted is a structural engineer, as I mentioned, licensed engineer. Uh, what
1: state are you licensed in, Ted? In New York and California. New York so and California. California let's take the test early, and New York is where I was. So. Excellent. Excellent. Uh,
0: so you got both coasts covered. That's good. That's uh, right. <laughs> Some of you may have uh, read on our, our website uh, recently that we have gotten involved with a product called Shuriken, and uh, Ted is the inventor of this product, and so we're very pleased to have Ted be a part of the Atlas team. He currently is, uh, I guess we'll call him an exclusive consultant to Atlas, and he'll be working with us as we move forward here. So, you know, today we're just going to talk a bit to Ted about you know, his background, talk a little bit about uh, the Shuriken product and what we use it for, and, you know, we'll go from there. So, so Ted, you know, obviously, you know, structural engineer, you've probably spent a good part of your career working in the design world, but, you know, what, what, what made you want to become an engineer?
1: Yeah, so I think you know I, I was sort of the stereotypical kid who takes apart the toaster, you know, love director sets stuff like that. So, you know, the building, creating things was always sort of in the in the works and you know, I think oddly enough when I when I started college, I, what I thought I really wanted to do was aerospace engineering um because that's the the cool engineering, right? Um but then uh the first class you take you know, bending moments, shear diagrams, torsion, stuff like that, and, and just starting to learn about how structures work—it it just sort of grabbed my attention and uh, sort of pulled me in the structural direction. So, you know, a bit of good luck there, I suppose. If the first class had been fluids, perhaps I'd still be on the aerospace path. But uh, yeah, here we are. So,
0: excellent. Now, where did you go to school?
1: Uh, went to Swarthmore College, which is a small liberal arts school near Philadelphia has an engineering program. Hmm. So, it was, uh, yeah, not, not a lot of liberal arts schools that do, but it you know, was a fun experience. And then after that, went to Johns Hopkins for grad school. Uh, Excellent. Actually started in the PhD program there and then realized pretty quickly that that was not, not my calling, to say the <laughs> least. So got, got so, out with the master's and, uh, you know, went into the world of design.
0: Excellent. So when you were um, for your master's and your startup PhD, if you will, what uh, were, you, were you doing research or were you focusing in on something? Or Yeah,
1: yeah. we um, I was working with a professor from Japan who did a lot of structural health monitoring and, and building control. So like modifying the properties of dampers as the earthquake is happening in order to Sort of maximize the amount of energy that you could pull out of the system, uh, those sorts of things, and also high speed simulations. And it was really cool stuff. You know, I was the, the material was interesting, but you know, part of a PhD program is they basically say you've got the, a really big paper due in about five years, just work on it. <laughs> and my reaction to that is unfortunately that you know if i go home early today it's still about 5 years you know so I figured i i needed some deadlines to keep me honest and and that's why i made my way into you know the private world
0: yeah i, I having you know got my masters i actually did a non thesis masters i did the non research so i spent a little more time taking classes and you know my whole reason for going to get my masters was i felt like i hadn't learned enough in undergrad. I think and I think a lot of people come out of, uh, you know, four or five years of engineering school and they go, what is it I know? But so I think, you know, getting the master's was kind of what my goal was just to increase my knowledge. But one of the things I, I, I came to appreciate with, you know, people who do go on to get their master's and PhD is having some practical experience before you actually move on to that next phase, I think is is pretty valuable. So, you know, whether nothing against people who go directly into getting their PhD because they, you know, maybe they want to teach or what have you, but, but having some practical experience, I think is very, very valuable.
1: Yeah. In retrospect, I agree a (laughs) hundred (laughs) percent having done it with no practical experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. So obviously you did get some practical experience. Uh, So what was next for you after, after grad school, you uh, went out and worked for a while. What'd you do?
1: Yeah, so uh, went back to New York, which is home for me, worked for about four years with a firm called GMS. does uh, mostly structural, also facades, and they do primarily commercial residential work, that sort of thing, so a lot of flat plate concrete renovations to existing buildings. The occasional steel building from scratch, but uh, they're few and far between in New York. And then after, after a few years there, made a switch to a company called STV, which is you know it's a pretty big one. And they do a lot more infrastructure, you know, work for schools, various public agencies, you know, institutional stuff. So between the two firms sort of got a good sense of, you know, a pretty broad swath of the design world and definitely is quite a different experience, but enjoyed both of them. And uh, yeah, that was about, So I think those added up to about eight years. And then at that point, the next big change, which was uh, moving to Japan, you know, my Wife got a uh, a job out here, basically, and so I figured yeah. I was essentially hanging up the uh, the engineering for a little while because you know it's uh, it's not something you can really do here with a foreign license. You know, it would have been a long road to get back into it. Faith had a yeah. plans.
0: Yeah, I imagine it, it, there, there definitely are some challenges with having to work in foreign countries. I mean, it's one thing to work in the States for a firm where you're doing work in another country, but to actually go and work for a foreign firm, I imagine that's uh, a big hill to climb.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if, it, if we were in, you know, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia and a lot of places around the world other than Asia, you know, there are a lot of major American and uh, British firms that you could easily work in engineering in English. But Japan has such a well-established engineering uh, industry of its own that they really don't need those firms. And so, if you want to do it here, you need to do it in Japanese, yeah. lic- licensed in Japan, all that. And it's yeah. just uh, that would have taken many years to, to get to. So
0: understood. So, how is your Japanese? Are you, are you learning it?
1: Yeah. Well, I was learning it. You know, I was taking classes, you know, many hours a day, until I had the idea for sure, again, or at least until. You know, shuriken started to become a, a real thing, I guess you would say. And at that point, my, uh, my Japanese efforts sort of uh, fell off the wagon. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I can have conversations with people, but not without potentially offending them uh, <laughs> several times. So, uh, but that's better than nothing, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine that is a challenge. Uh, as long as you can order a, a coffee, I guess you're probably in a good place. <laughs>
1: Yes, indeed. That, that I can manage after a few years. So
0: Good. So, yeah. So let's talk about the Shuriken. So this obviously is a pretty exciting thing that you've come up with. And, and for those listening, Ted uh, approached Atlas a while ago to get feedback on his product because uh, the Shuriken is, is really about making connections a little bit easier for hollow structural sections. And uh, the long and the short of it is Shuriken is now actually part of the Atlas uh, family. It's a product that we're going to be offering going forward. And hopefully through this podcast, you will get an introduction to it and want to learn more. So so Ted, give us kind of a a little bit of a path forward of like how you came up with the idea and and what the the goal of the shuriken is.
1: Yeah. So, you know, being here in Japan, steel construction, really tubes are king here. You don't see any wide flange columns on uh, Japanese construction sites, except for maybe like a canopy over a rail platform or something like that and so you know having a lot of time on my hands you know I've walked past quite a few construction sites and just really was thinking a lot about how you know we could bring that approach to things to the states because you know the fact of the matter is that steel even though it's one of the more environmentally friendly building materials you can use you're still using energy to melt tons of iron and You know, that's not a trivial amount of energy that goes into that. So uh, if you can reduce the tonnage of steel by using more efficient columns, um, even if it's only a few percent tonnage in a building, that makes a difference, you know, uh, in the big picture in terms of emissions. And of course, you know, for someone who is paying for the building, saving a few percent on the steel bill makes a difference there, too. And so, you know, initially it just sort of started thinking, well, what if you could sort of fabricate? have a fabricator just make sort of something with bars and plates that sort of held the nuts in place behind the holes. And then that became, well, what if it was a casting, but castings are kind of expensive. And so it, it went through probably about a dozen iterations before you got to one that looked like the product that's now, you know, available that you can see on the website. So,
0: yeah. So to to walk you through it. So basically we're talking about a product that holds the nut in place. Uh, on the inside of an HSS instead of a, a, a square tube that allows you to bolt with a standard bolt, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, basically taking a connection that you would have had to weld because you can't get a hand into the tube to either hold a nut or insert a TC bolt. You know, now you can essentially have that nut placed before you erect the tube. And then once the tube is in place, just insert the bolt and tighten So, you know, it takes what is essentially the standard connection for wide flanges, which is just, you know, bolted splice plates and makes them applicable to HSS as well.
0: Yeah, and that's going to make things faster, right? I mean, you know, we're talking about if you have to field weld, I mean, there's obviously a lot of safety issues, risk issues there, and also it takes some time. Bolting has always been preferred in the field because of the speed and the safety. So this would allow you to have those types of connections, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, you take really just the standard splices that you would have for wide flange and now they're applicable to HSS and, you know, all the points you bring up are absolutely true as far as, you know, labor and safety with welding, but also, you know, when you have to splice things in the field with welds, you often have a lot of inspection that comes with that as well. So, you know, beyond just the upfront cost, there's a, a lot of sort of hassle that's saved. Uh, with the inspection and rework that comes with dealing with those issues with the welding. So it, it you know, saves a lot of time and money and, and headaches uh, on a lot of fronts.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Inspection is always a, a big thing that people don't really identify early on from a cost perspective. You know, everyone focuses on material costs, right? You know, labor inspection, I mean, that's going to be the majority of cost when, you, when you're building a steel building. So anytime you can make those faster, simpler, easier, or eliminate them, that's always going to be a good thing. You know, and, and clearly, obviously, from the perspective of Atlas and, and the use of HSS, you know, if we can make connections simpler, easier, you know, more approachable, it obviously makes HSS attractive as well, too. Because one of the challenges we face in the HSS industry is, you know, there are a lot of hurdles that people put up to prevent us from convincing them to use more HSS. But if we can lower some of those hurdles, I think that's, a, that's a definitely a positive for the, for the HSS industry
1: yeah, I think, and you know, when I was thinking about it sort of early on, it seemed like the vast majority of those hurdles really, really can be overcome just with better education, you know, in terms of you know connections and material. You know, I think there's this uh, widespread perception amongst engineers that I, I had myself until I really started digging into this, that really even something as simple as a, a sheer connection to an HSS comes with a lot of sort of difficulty in design and uh, you know, potential reinforcing and stuff like that. And it was only, as I started digging into, you know, HSS, as as it sort of relates to this product, to, to the idea for sure, again, that I realized that that stuff is actually quite easy. So I think a lot of those hurdles better education, people will come around, but the splice one was, was tough. As long as you have to have a welded splice, you're probably never going to get that more complete adoption. Fortunately, we now have that piece of the puzzle yeah. taken care of. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So, you know, so in the specifics here, you know, the shuriken is, is made up of a couple components. It's got a, a sheet metal component or thin gauge material that holds a, uh, is it correct to say a polymer or a nylon material that holds the nut in place?
1: Yep. Nylon, it's a glass fiber reinforced nylon. So it's actually used a lot under the hoods of cars because, hmm. um, you know, it's impact resistant, high strength. And uh, heat-resistant as well, which is good because, you know, to attach it to the splice plate, you make some tack welds, and you certainly don't want anything melting when you do that. So it was sort of the idea material.
0: Excellent, excellent. So as right now, we've got a product that uses a standard bolt with a standard nut. So that standard nut will fit into the, the, you know, the the shuriken or the structural nut keeper, and then you use the standard bolt to fully torque it down. Now, we can develop full pre-tension with these, right?
1: That's right, yeah. You can... uh, Even with A490s, you can do pretensioned and slip-critical connections, which is something that, you know, obviously there have been a lot of, you know, one-sided connectors in the market for a while. And a lot of them are, really, I have to say, ingenious as I've been doing more product development. But definitely there, you know, there are some shortcomings that come along with it. And one of those was that you couldn't do slip-critical connections. And so with this, that sort of checks that box.
0: And you mentioned 490s earlier, so this product is acceptable for use in, you know, basically the two common grades of, of bolts, right? The A325 and the and the A490?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can uh, basically, uh, you know, all the standard things that you would do with bolting, you can do with shuriken, whether it, in terms of grade, having pretension connections, and even, you know, down to the design, right? There are no specific load tables or anything like that that you have to use in order to design sure kind of connection right it's the same exact process as you would do you just open the steel manual you get your bolt capacities and you go from there so it has that aspect of simplicity to it
0: yeah that's great i think and i think that's a huge advantage and i guess you bring up a good point there where you know if someone's listening to this and they're thinking okay this is great you know so what qualification what testing do what astm does this have to meet and really there's nothing out there i mean this this is almost a code independent type product there was a you know used a phrase of disposable wrench that i i really liked and so i think i think that's a great point
1: yeah i mean that's what that's what i've been telling people essentially like imagine you invented some sort of great new wrench that has a curvy handle uh, or something like that right you wouldn't have to get that curvy handled wrench certified by icc or anything like that because all it's doing is holding the nut, and that's exactly what Shuriken is doing. It, it's just uh, you know, a new wrench, it just so happens to be one that's disposable that stays on the inside of the structure, but uh it interacts with the bolt in exactly the same way that any other wrench does. So it's it's really you're you're using standard bolting technology. You just have a sort of a helping hand inside the tube.
0: Yeah, that's great. So currently we're offering just one bolt diameter right now, the three quarter inch diameter bolt, but there is obviously product development going on now that Atlas is involved and we're going to be uh, expanding the product range. And I think our focus is going to be on seven eighths and eventually one inch, right? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, from three quarters to one inch are the sizes that you see a lot in construction. And, you know, whether we eventually decide to go up to, you know, inch and an eighth, inch and a quarter, we'll, we'll have to see how things play out. But certainly three quarters through one inch is the plan.
0: Yeah, I mean, the advantage of this type of product is that the size doesn't really matter much. It's a matter because the concept will work regardless of the size. It's just a matter of putting together the actual product that fits the size. So conceptually, there's nothing nothing else that we have to change. So we'll just adapt to what the market wants from us on this front.
1: Yeah, that's really, really all it is. No, I know obviously that obviously you don't. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, obviously, you know, once you get above one inch, you don't, you don't see things uh, as frequently unless you got some really major structures. So we'll we'll see how often that comes up potentially for, uh, you know, maybe not HSS specifically, but uh, you know, if you're doing large built-up plate box columns or uh, truss cords, that sort of thing you know, in, in that situation where the forces get really large, it certainly might make sense to have a bigger bolt, but we'll, right. we'll see how often that comes up.
0: Well, we're hoping it comes up a little more often with our new <laughs> mill coming online this fall, right? You know, we're going to be producing the Jumbo yes, HSS indeed. that these things will work very nicely with. So a little plug for the new mill there. You know, so obviously, you know, you've come up with a great concept and a great idea. And, and and as we take this out to the street, you know, as we start to engage with fabricators and engineers, you know, we're going to start getting some feedback. So, I would imagine that we'll probably start looking at ways to improve the product if we need to going forward, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this was, I guess you could call it version 1.0. We're at, out of the betas. You know, it's it's the real deal. But, you know, any product, the, the more it gets used and the more people interact with it, there are going to be uh, ways that we can improve it. I mean, I think uh, one of those that we can talk about on the horizon is it's probably going to get a little bit more compact so that uh, we don't have to uh, force people into bigger bolt spacings with bigger sizes. I mean, currently it works with three-inch standard spacing, but we want to make sure that we can let people continue to use those standards even when they get into bigger bolt sizes. So that's going to be a a focus of the development. But yeah, I'm sure other stuff will come up. You know, fabricators, contractors in general are a smart group of people. So it's exciting to see, you know, what sort of uses they may come up with for it and, you know, how we can improve it to accommodate not just this, this sort of main intended use of HSS splices, but whatever other possibilities, you know, it it turns out to be helpful for.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And and to that point, we are going to be talking directly with engineers, uh, connection engineers, design engineers, uh, with the hopes that they start to uh, like this product and start to specify it and use it in their connection designs. But probably the more important base that we're going to be engaging with here is the fabricators because that ultimately they're the ones who are going to purchase the product and to use it and hopefully enjoy it and see advantages to it. So, you know, so our route to market here, just so everyone knows, it will be, you know, from a sales perspective, will be through the fabricator base. You know, there's information on our website about how we're going to be actually handling the actual sale of these. But, you know, initially we'll be engaging with the fabricators and seeing what they have to
1: say. I mean, there's, there's no doubt it's a lot easier to uh, draw a full penetration weld than it is to actually make one. I say that as an engineer who's put it on the drawings possibly one too many times. So uh, I, I think the, the incentive, the drive to get this out there is certainly going to be, uh, you know, uh, stronger amongst fabricators. But hopefully we'll get everyone to come around uh, before too long.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. CJP Weld <laughs> All around is really easy to put down on the drawings. There's no calculations necessary, right? But boy, the extra cost you you throw into a job when you do that, sim- when you make it quote-unquote simple, yeah, it's, it's a lesson that I think we've all learned at some point in our careers. Yeah. So, you know, we're so excited to have this as part of the Atlas family, and we're excited to have you, Ted, part of it as well, too. We really think there's a lot of a great future for the Shuriken, especially with its use within HSS splicing. You know, we've obviously focused in on column splices, but anytime you need to connect two HSS together, I think the Shuriken is really going to have a
1: lot of advantages. Yeah, yeah, it's it's real exciting. I mean, obviously, before Atlas, I was, you know, sort of just doing this on my own. It's, as a, an aside, I think it's really funny the name of the company That I had started to get this sort of off the ground was tubular connections, not realizing that there was a podcast of the same title. Uh, So I think we were sort of fated to be together.
0: Yeah, it's simpatico Um, (laughs) or synergy or whatever you want to say, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) But but yeah, it's, you know, real exciting to have, you know, real resources behind it now and and definitely looking forward to seeing things uh, take off.
0: Yeah. And for our listeners out there, you know, if you are interested in learning more about the shuriken, you know, feel free to reach out to Ted or myself. Uh, Obviously, there's information on our website on atlastube.com about the shuriken. And there's also a Ted's website. What's your address again, Ted?
1: Tubularconnect.com.
0: Yep. So you can link to that from Atlas and get more information about the shuriken as well as uh, ordering information. So yeah, appreciate the time today, Ted. So I, you know, just to finish things up here, you're in japan so that's that's got to be a pretty exciting thing so have you been able to tour around the country much or are you pretty much uh, well i guess during this pandemic probably not so much right
1: well yeah well we've been here since late 2018 so we got a good year plus of uh, non-pandemic living so yeah you know I've been skiing up in uh, up north and you know hit some of the, the big spots i guess you know kyoto osaka between this and some other trips and you know uh my wife's family is not from tokyo so we uh, we venture out there as well good with some frequency so you know it's it's a fun but, experience okay. but yeah. you know i i would be lying if i said i wasn't uh, looking forward to uh getting back to the states and <laughs> being able to sort of function in society again
0: yeah yeah i suppose For that's probably English. one of the biggest challenges is just you know, do, making, making use of your time and being productive. Yeah. Uh, but Japan's a beautiful country. I was fortunate to to travel over there a couple of times and, and it is a, a absolutely beautiful country. And so, uh, you should enjoy it while you can. So what are some of the things that, you know, when you're not thinking of new fun things like shuriken, what is it that, you know, <laughs>
1: occupies your time? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, you know, historically I would have in the past, I would have said that golf was my hobby, but, uh, you know, between uh, living in the middle of Tokyo, and you know, I have a, a four-year-old and a one-year-old, um, so I think at this point, thinking about having enough time to have a hobby is, my <laughs> hobby. Um, <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. But yeah, certainly you no know, trouble keeping busy between uh, you know the the shuriken, uh, stuff and and things at home. And you know, I have to say, it's uh, obviously work is work, but it's it's really cool, you know, as uh, someone who was you know spent several years doing more engineering design you know which is sort of on a project by project basis to move into product design is is, you know pretty interesting it's a, a different set of constraints but in the end you're using all the same physics you know i've got torque from a nut and i gotta get it out and it's sort of activates all the same parts of the brain that i was using uh, as a design engineer which is which is cool it's a, a new sort of outlet for that uh, that creative juice so been enjoying that
0: well that's good yeah that, i think that's i think you're right i think that you know those of us that have kind of wandered away from the project design world i think you know we find that there's still parts of our engineering brain that we use quite a bit. So um, I'm glad to see that you're still <laughs> engaging that. Well, Ted, once again, I, I appreciate your time today and, or in your case, tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I appreciate that. And uh, we look forward to continuing this relationship uh, moving forward with the Shuriken. And to our listeners out there, uh, as I said, if you're interested in learning more, feel free to reach out to learn more about the Shuriken. And, uh you know, Ted, thanks again for being with us today. And, yeah, and my we'll, pleasure. And we'll uh, we'll see you down the road here. Thanks again for uh, all your listeners uh, listening to Tubular Connections. Uh, once again, my name is Brad Fletcher, uh, Structural Engineer with Atlas Tube. My guest today was Ted Goldstein, and I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about the shuriken. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Tubular Connections. You can learn more about designing with steel HSS at atlastube.com.